Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, guys, congratulations. You have made it to the weekend, and this is your Friday Roundup. Today, we're going to be talking about the Monday episode with Brandon Pierce from PierceOnEarth.com, who is the prototypical example of what creating a business from the ground up and developing it into one of these four-hour workweek type models actually looks like. And then we want to take the second half of this episode to really highlight how he leveraged that business model to allow him and his family to travel the world. As usual, we'll try to bring in some community feedback and help round things out. So yeah, this is going to be a really fun episode. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here today. How you doing, buddy? I am doing quite well, Jonathan. Yeah, this was a really interesting episode. I agree that it was it was a unique opportunity, right? To look at someone who has basically created this four-hour workweek type entrepreneur job, right? Or business, I guess, is really the way to look at it. And not only did he do that, but then also he's on this amazing world travel experience with his family of five. And each individual item would be an episode in its own right. But to have one person kind of talk through that entire experience was was really fascinating. So, yeah, looking forward to jumping in and chatting about it, certainly. But, yeah, Jonathan, what's going on by you? Well, we had a, actually a couple of cool things happen. One was my personal frugal win of the week. And you know how we talk about building community with people and maybe focusing on more frugal activities or activities that promote community and do not promote the inevitable lightning of your wallet. Well, I have a story to share with you guys. And we actually invited our neighbors over. Their daughter was having a birthday party. We did a dino-themed birthday. But we actually put a projector out in the backyard around 5 to 8 p.m. And everybody came over, brought a potluck dish over. And we actually watched Land Before Time in the backyard. And I've never actually been a huge fan of the movie, but just the fact that we were able to host our neighbors and watch it in the backyard was awesome. That's really cool. What did you, I'm sure knowing you, you had some cool hack for like how the projector worked and where you put it and and whatnot. Tell me about it. There's a couple of cool things you can do here. One is many people, and I looked into this, many libraries and ours included will actually allow you to rent a projector for free. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can definitely, again, Choose FI, friends of the library. Go check out your library, see if they can give you access to one. In my case, uh, one of my buddies actually is a youth pastor and he had access. So there you go. You have a perk there. Uh, He had access to the projector and the background screen. And so they were able to bring it over and we just kind of, we just teed it up. So it it was very simple, easy to use. And, you know, you can access the video on Netflix or however you want to access it, but just kind of making the event around the kids is going to immediately allow parents to get that time together because their kids are in a safe place. They have entertainment and really it's not costing you any money because you're just bringing over what you would have made for dinner anyways, and you're just sharing it with other families. So virtually zero cost, fantastic time. And Brad, I was actually thinking to myself, man, I really want to bring you guys over next time so you can come hang out with us and do this. I think your kids would get a big kick out of this as well. Nice. Yeah, we're up for it. That would be awesome. So yeah, let me know. All right, we'll do. Um, the other cool thing, and I'm just stealing all of our time here is I am on day three of a three day fast this morning. Holy cow. Sorry. A three day fast, like an entire, like not eating anything. Yeah. You know, I'm not hardcore in any aspect of my life. I've listened to like Jocko Willink and a lot of those extreme discipline, extreme ownership type podcasts and think to myself, nothing I do in my life is extreme. And I cringe hearing all the things that these guys are willing to do, even the cold showers. I'm like, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. But in this case, I was like, you know what? I've already done one day fast before many times. And actually, usually the next day I wake up and I'm not hungry. And I've been reading 
Tools of Titans with Tim Ferriss. And he was talking about how he would go about doing this three-day fast. And then on top of that, talking about the idea of doing a seven-day fast. And what's very interesting, and there's some parallels to what we talk about in finances, is that you always need to anchor what you're doing. And if you're anchoring this three-day fast as this extraordinarily out-of-control, crazy, extreme thing to do, then maybe you're going to be less likely to do it. But if your anchor for what's extreme is a seven-day fast... Well, then suddenly a three-day fast doesn't seem like a big deal. It's quite as much of a big deal. And in the same regards, when we're talking about finances, when we talk about saving 20 to 30% of your income, that seems crazy and super extreme. But when you anchor that to the idea of saving 50 to 60% of your money, you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can do 20 to 30%. This idea of anchoring is very valuable as a mental tool that you can use in almost every aspect of your life. And so now I'm on day three. And frankly, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I should just go and do a five-day fast because I think I could probably make it. And do I really want to start later and start from scratch and have to do five days all over again? But it's it's going pretty it's going pretty well. I'm still here. I'm still alive. <laughs> it sounds like you have your normal uh, customary energy as well. So that's that's encouraging. Yeah, my enthusiasm comes through. (laughs) (laughs) So you talked about anchoring. Another thing that we focus on is like the why behind things. Like we talk about the why of five. That's usually when you tell yourself a story of of why you're doing something, it usually leads to success. And I'm curious, I'm just setting you up here for failure. So, you know, I'm not sure if if there's going to be a good answer, but like, what is your why? I know when reading Tim Ferriss's books and listening to some of his guests like uh, Dominic D'Agostino, uh, they talk about like the cellular benefits. You know, of course, there's like, OK, I'm not eating, so I'm going to lose weight. Like that's the most superficial aspect. And I'm not sure if that that may or may not be what what you're going for. But like they talk about health benefits potentially of fasting, like it helps rid the body potentially of precancerous cells and and just enables the body to work more efficiently. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm the farthest thing from anyone trained to uh, go down that path. But, you know, that's what I've heard about. And I'm curious, what was your why behind doing this fast? I think I did want to be considered extreme on some level. I knew I could do this. I knew that this was possible for me. I didn't start with a three-day fast. I had done many one-day fasts successfully and usually felt better the next day. I felt more in control of my impulse control, my need to have sweets and sugars and all those kind of junk food that you've latched onto. I also, it was it was almost a natural progression. I'd been doing a six-in-one type of slow-carb dieting where I focused on cutting out all the processed foods, all the processed sugars, really focusing on high protein and increasing my exposure to legumes. So you know, beans and lentils and that sort of thing. And I was making pretty good progress with that, but I was hovering right around 182 pounds. And I'm sure I did want to move the needle. So there was a weight loss component to this, although I don't think my goal was limited to that. I think ultimately it came down to, I wanted more ownership of my why when I'm choosing what meals I want to eat. And I figured if you can go three days without eating and you realize at the end of the third day that you're you're still fine, you're okay. In fact, maybe you even feel better to a degree. How much more willpower control does that give you when you're just working through your regular day-to-day activities and you're about to saboteur yourself on all of your health and fitness goals because you're craving that sweet or treat because you're thinking to yourself, I have to have that. And when you are able to go through a exercise like this, which is really not one that puts your health in any sort of risk, but rather it's one that is more mental exercise. There are people all over the world. There are people inside the United States that unfortunately don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And in many cases, our country and many parts of the world, we've just been, I guess, fortunate or blessed to have forgotten what it's like to not have that next meal. And so it's a useful exercise to realize that your body is designed to be energy efficient. Your body stores energy in case that next meal doesn't become readily apparent. And honestly, as long as you have access to water, your body could probably survive for up to a month without that next meal. And I'm not recommending that you do that. But practically speaking, there's many people in the U.S. that have never done a single one day fast. And there's an even smaller percentage that have tried a three-day fast. And I feel like now I'm very close to having made it into that second category. And although I will never have the bumper sticker on the back of my car that says I've run 26.2 miles, I can maybe I can find a bumper sticker that says three days and put that on there. 72 hours. 72 hours. Yeah, man, it's going, it's going well. I'll be honest, the, the real key once you start getting into day two and day three is you decide, you know, I think I'd like to go to, I think I want to go to bed a little bit early and I think I want to wake up a little bit later, but ultimately it ends up being a good experience. That's cool. No, I like that. Uh, just proving to yourself that you can do something. There's definitely value there, right? Like that, if that's your why or that's part of it, then yeah, that's good enough for me. I like that. 
All right, Brad. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take a few minutes and actually talk about Monday's episode. And I I thought maybe the place to start, in my mind, the first thing that he really said that struck me was that he realized very early on that you don't have security as a nine to five employee. You may have the the illusion of security. You, You may have the steady paycheck, but the reality is you're only one transition in management away from having your entire world rocked, especially if your life depends on a steady nine to five paycheck. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's funny because you and I, when we prepare for these roundups, we each just listen a couple of times and take a bunch of notes. And and yeah, literally my very first thing was, quote, there's no such thing as job security when you work for someone else. So yeah, that clearly was a, a big takeaway for me. And this kind of speaks to the larger why of FI, right? Of why you even get on this path. And this is what we constantly talk about with getting the power back in your court. And that can happen slowly. That is a continuum. It's not, okay, one day you have no power and the next day you're financially independent. It just doesn't work that way. But what does happen is when you're not living paycheck to paycheck, when you're not basically beholden to the whims of someone else, like you just said, a a new manager comes in and you have some personality conflict with him or her and that's it, right? And then if you don't have any savings, your life crumbles in a 30 to 90 day period. Like, could you imagine living like that? That, That's just an awful way to go through life. And it's just so stressful. Whereas if you just start taking that power back just by living below your means, right? It really is as simple as that. And then you just slowly accumulate more and more power and the entire dynamic of your life changes. That is really powerful. It's essential that you all understand that. And I think it's important to point out that this is not necessarily a pitch for entrepreneurship. Uh, I got this word from Brad. I'm going to go and give credit. But entrepreneurship is not necessarily the panacea of, of all. Having said that, though, the one thing that you do have control over, whether or not you choose entrepreneurship or whether or not you choose to pursue five within the confines of the nine to five is your savings rate. And we'll come back to this over and over again, not just in this episode, but in future shows. But if you can build margin, if you can mine the gap, if you can build space in between what your expenses are and what you're earning, every single paycheck that you get, you're adding more control to your side of the ledger and you're adding security because guess what? If the job goes south, you have margin between you and the financial cliff. And that's just such a valuable message that it absolutely needs to be restated almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. And that margin is crucial in everything you do in life. That's what I talked about a minute ago. But but also when you're beginning your entrepreneur's journey, really. And that's kind of what, Jonathan, what you mentioned in the podcast, which was that neither Brandon nor I were living on the precipice. And we did have some financial runways, certainly. So it made it easier. And I mean, frankly, just the way that I'm wired, I couldn't imagine living in that life where I'm an entrepreneur and I'm still essentially paycheck to paycheck. Like that to me is even more stressful, right? Because it's not then just a typical nine to five, but wow, you have to quite literally put food on the table. And if something went catastrophically wrong, like your whole life can go down the tubes as an entrepreneur. So it's about creating that margin. And for me, I know many people would say, I guess there's two schools of thoughts, right? There's the create the safety, create the safety, and then you can do what you want. And that might be entrepreneurship. That might be retiring early. It might be anything. Or there's the burn the boats type scenario where you just cut every possible tie and you're going to succeed or fail. And in all likelihood, because you've burned the boats, you have no chance to go back to shore. There's no safety waiting for you. You're going to do what you have to do. Work 18 hours a day, do whatever, hustle, whatever it is to succeed. So I, I get both sides. I think personally, I'm wired that I crave that level of safety. And that is what I did when I actually made the leap to working full time on my internet businesses. So, you know, I, I cannot fathom that I would have done that without a significant amount of money in the bank. That's just not the way that, that I work. But Jonathan, I'm curious, like you and I obviously think very differently on many things. I'd love to hear where you come down on the whole burn the boats versus safety scenario. I think I'm closer to you than you're giving me credit for the way you're framing this question. (laughs) I, I know people in our community that are absolutely in the burn the boat camp, but 
I am much more in the camp of I want the freedom to fail, but I don't want to fail. So the underlying thought behind that statement is that I have enough margin in my life and I have enough of a runway and my burn rate is low enough that if I start on some venture because it looks promising or because I think that it has legs and then it turns out that that was again an illusion or that it was not what I thought it was going to be, my burn rate is slow enough that I can then go back to the safety of my of of whatever of my original status quo situation. I'm not a big fan of going all in and burning the boats. I I definitely like to have, as you guys know, a backup plan for my backup plan. I think people say that the entrepreneur is willing to work 80 hours a week for themselves to avoid working 40 hours a week for the man. I am probably to some degree more and more in that camp because I do find that's where the whole idea of work-life balance comes in. I would say most people can identify with the fact that once they check out of their nine to five, hopefully they're done. Now, obviously work does follow some people home. But generally speaking, especially for the hourly employee, when, they, when they're off the clock, they are off the clock. When you're an entrepreneur, though, a lot of those timelines go out the window, especially when you're trying to build that business so there is more margin in your life so you can increase that savings rate. I've, I've just been having to deal with this thought process a lot. There is a very sneaky and almost imperceptible desire to put the extra 20 to 40 hours in just to continue to grow that gap. Yeah, there sure is. And I think I've talked to you about this. We we both struggle with this. And I mean, you more so than me, I would say at this point with this being your first venture with a, an online site or podcast or whatever. And, and it's so exciting. But unfortunately, you can let it bleed into your life and take away from some of that work-life balance that that you really want. And especially when you know we get dozens of emails and obviously you could spend 24 hours a day in the Facebook group, right? Like there's just no two ways about it. Like it's exciting. It's awesome. That's our community. We, we love to be there. And I try to tell you from time to time, like take a break. You don't have to be there every second. Like people know how involved you are. It's about finding that balance in life. And and obviously I don't want to get down to the minutia here of our exact thing. It's a larger point of you got to figure out what, what adds value and what adds value to your life. And really establish that line of separation that enables you to have the life that you want and to grow your business or your community as as well as you'd like it to. So there is that fine line, but like Jonathan, like you said, you can easily work 80 hours a week to uh, get rid of a 40 hour a week job for someone else. And like, there is great allure to that and, and I get it, but it is that fine line and there there is that bit of danger where you can go down and reach that point of diminishing returns. And I, I think we all need to be cognizant of that. And uh, this is one of those kind of like first world problems, right? Like it's so exciting for us personally that we're growing this community, but you do have to be aware that you could spend 168 hours a week on it very, very easily, but you need to find some balance. I think that's that's a crucial point in life is finding the balance. Maybe there's even a message for the large percentage of bloggers or business owners that have a large online presence, maybe a social media presence. And that is while your spouse may appreciate your hard work ethic up to a point, like maybe 40 to 60 hours a week. Once you start allowing that business to creep into the 80 to 100 hours and you realize that your phone is still out at dinner time because you're still checking some inane anything, then that respect is going to turn to resentment. And that is that is a poor investment of your time, especially when when it's coming at the cost of your relationships. Yeah. I mean, the phone is the most insidious thing that has ever been created. You, you, it's wonderful, obviously in so many regards, but like, yeah, you have to put that thing away, right? Like you get those notifications or, Oh, I'm just going to pop on Facebook. And then it's 30 minutes later and you've had so many cool conversations, but then yeah, your spouse across the table is looking at you like you're the worst person on earth. So yeah, I, I think it's just easier to not tempt yourself and just put the thing away. What I really want to highlight, Brad, is the fact that Brandon identified something that would make his life easier. And and there's so much value to capturing this fact. When you're thinking to yourself, I have no good ideas. What could I do? I think you're asking the wrong question. Instead, think about what are you actually doing and what would make your life easier? That That's where I think Brandon started. And that's why I think he was able to pursue this journey with such success down the road. Yeah, I think this is a great way to go about brainstorming for businesses. And and it's not as overt as sitting down and writing down ideas. It's just going through life with that critical eye of, of where are there pain points in my life? And I, I think that's the crucial point is like, if you have an issue, if you have something that just frustrates you, that is taking up too much time that you think could be done better, like that's a pain point. And if 
it's a pain point for you than it probably is for many, many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people, who knows, millions of people. And in Brandon's case, he found this niche, right? Like he was a piano teacher and it certainly doesn't have to be limited to piano teachers. It can be all music teachers as, as it eventually turned into music teachers helper. And he realized like in all likelihood at that point, there was nobody that had taken these multiple talents, right? Which is a being a music teacher, B being able to code a program and see realistically having some level of knowledge and skill with accounting, which generally you find a lot of these industries where people are just so incredibly creative or talented and they might not have the business sense. Well, in this particular industry, there, there wasn't that program or there wasn't some easy automated way to do all the actual business aspects of this creative and wonderful endeavor. And Brandon looked at that and said, wow, this is not even just an opportunity. It's something that I can do that will help my life. So let me let me code this and let me put it together. And then it was, will anybody buy this? Is this something that other people might be interested in? And I don't even think he did it in like a overt or ham-handed way. He wasn't like trying to be a salesman. He was just speaking with some of his colleagues and friends and there was an obvious need for this. And I think this can translate to so many other aspects of your life. Another perfect example of this, and, and honestly, look around you and see how a product has crept up to fill a need and then trace that back to what the initial story, which was which was someone had a problem. And instead of just using this limiting belief, oh, well, well I guess I'll do a workaround. They created a solution for that problem. And I'm thinking in particular, Brad, maybe Jesse Meacham from YNAB, you need a budget. This is a perfect situation of someone that saw a problem and instead of just hemming and hauling or coming up with a workaround, he designed something from scratch that would fill that need and then develop that out to share with other people. And you can just expand that forward. But the next place to land on this is at what point do you know that this idea that you've been working on and developing and and testing on yourself as almost this pre-beta tester, at what point do you know that this idea is something that you should then commit to? And for Brandon, he identified that it was the point of that first sale. And there were some steps in between that. He had developed the software. He had shared it with people that were in his niche, people, just friends that were also music teachers. And then what I loved is they were like, wow, that would be really helpful for us. And I think at this point, they weren't paying for it. He just shared it with them. But he realized other people will benefit from this. And then what's that next thing? He went to a conference. And I think there's so much value. This has to be what that first step looks like. Find out which conferences are dealing with your niche and get your idea in front of other people and then ask for that first sale. Once you have that first sale, and this is what Alan said from uh, Pop-Up Business School in episode 30, once you ask for the sale, then you're getting real feedback. That's the first point in time in which you know what people actually think about your product. And if someone, if one person says yes to that, then from there, it's just a matter of scale. Yeah. And that whole thing of getting people to take their wallets out and actually pay for something, that is the mark of delineation between an actual business and just your friends patting you on the back and saying, oh, good job. So many people will say they'll buy something or, oh, I'm interested potentially, but the proof is when people take their wallet out and pay for it. And yeah, I mean, Brandon knew from that very first sale and that's to his great credit. Like he made that product for himself and realized, oh wow, other people can benefit from this. He sold it and Jonathan, like you said in the podcast, like you can scale a digital product to the moon. Well, Brad, you do have some limitations. Uh, There's only 7 billion people on the planet. So once you run out, then that's it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's fair. And I I assume there are far fewer uh, music teachers. But but regardless, like he, he could theoretically sell this to every music teacher in America or the world. And that's a pretty big market. And it really doesn't cost that much once you've actually gone through the development. And he's proved to himself that someone will buy this. And if someone will buy it, many someones will buy it. So that is a really cool way to approach business. But if you don't get that first sale, then people are probably lying to you when they say, oh, this is great. Oh, I need it. It's you just don't have anything until people will buy it. All right. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about this choice that he made to travel the world with his family. And the place I wanted to start was this idea of just taking a six week test trip. And in their case, they went to Panama and how remarkable that is and how doable that is for anybody that has any financial margin in their life. 
Yeah, it's really alluring. And and Brandon just had so many great quotes in this episode. I, I tried to jot them down verbatim, but hopefully I, I get this right. But he said, we were comfortable, but we weren't fulfilled. And I knew there was more to life than what we were experiencing. And I wanted to give our family a chance to experience what life was like outside of this only bubble of reality that we knew. And I think that's really a powerful one. And that's not to say that the bubble of reality that that we all live in or whatever you want to call it is bad by no means. I mean, I, I think I live a, a wonderful life, but we do the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out. And that's fine. I mean, we, ha- we have this great life, but am I depriving my kids by not traveling, by not showing them different cultures? And, and I don't mean just going to Mexico and staying in an all inclusive. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about going and exploring and seeing what other cultures are actually like to live in, right? And it's experiencing the full benefits that other places, other worldviews, other people that look, dress, talk differently than you, like there's so much value in getting other people's perspectives. And I think so many of us, especially in this country, like we're just so myopic and we just look at our own little worldview and don't put ourselves in other people's shoes. And I think that's to our great detriment. So I'm just very impressed that Brandon really had the guts to pick up his family and and do this, even on just a, a short six-week trip like that to begin with. Brad, I actually have this funny story, again, from the weekend, just for my personal life, that I feel like we could tie a thread to this. And that is that I, my mother came down and watched our son for us for a few hours so we could get out of the house. And we decided on this date to go check out the international food store, which in Richmond is called the New Grand. And it really caters to the Hispanic and Asian communities. And we went in there. And what was so cool about it is it is kind of like going into another country. It has a very distinct, different feel from obviously your traditional, I don't know, Wegmans or Costco or whatever else. But you go in there. My wife at first really wasn't sure how to orient herself to this new environment. And it was kind of like, huh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know exactly what I should be doing here. But we went up and down the aisles and she's actually from Zimbabwe. So not only was she able to see all these foods that she had enjoyed that frankly, I had never heard of before. But then by the end, we were thinking to ourselves, wow, my idea of stretching myself food wise is to get a vegetarian pizza. But there's a million things on these aisles that I've never seen before and wouldn't know how to use in, in cooking. And I want to start experiencing this and trying this. And I had never considered this before. So it was such an eye-opening event to show us just not just your, we don't just have a myopic view towards the countries that we visit or the places that we're comfortable in. We have a myopic view to what's normal with every aspect of our life, including what we're eating on a day-to-day basis. Most of us have like five or six different meals of varying degrees of health or quality that we just stick to on a very cyclical basis. And there are a bunch of different ways that you can just increase your worldview of what you're actually willing to try. And even a tiny little experiment like that opens your eyes to all the different possibilities. And so now we want to go back there. We want to go back there and and actually want to start looking for recipes to incorporate these different ingredients that frankly, I've never even heard of. And that's just a really cool, almost thought experiment. We walked from the new grand, we went down to this Korean bakery and we got some baked goods that we would have never experimented before. And so I'm just thinking to myself, how often do you eat the same foods? You go to the same shop over and over again, and you've never explored your actual city. And I would love for everybody to be to go travel the world and be willing to experience these new things. That's something I'm talking to myself about as well. But if you're looking for a baby step, what if you just experimented with all the different locales and, and micro shops that are in your own local geographic location? And if you can stretch yourself just a little bit there, doesn't this also apply to the conversation of geo-arbitrage inside your own country? This idea of domestic geo-arbitrage? Because you realize you know what? If we took an objective look at this and removed some of the emotion of, oh, well, we have to have what's normal. And instead we, we focused on the idea of, well, maybe we could have a new normal in a new place. And that would allow us to gain all these additional financial incentives that we hadn't considered. There's, I think there's something there. Yeah, I totally hear you. And I do want to discuss that certainly, but, but I wanted to touch on something you said about two minutes ago, where you were talking about your wife, Danny, going into this food store and almost needing to orient herself. And, and I could almost like, I was leaning in when you were saying that, cause I I'm picturing like that, that confusion that I know I would have uh, that little bit of as silly as it sounds like that little bit of the fear of the unknown of like, what am I doing here? I don't even know what any of these products are. Like, where is anything located? I, I can't read anything like, but to me, I'm trying to, and and this is from Dominic Cortuccio, who we had on previously in episode 33, and, and he talks about leaning into the fear 
And obviously, this is a, a low grade fear when you're going to a, a, a new grocery store or whatever it may be. But but I'm now looking for areas in my life where where I get that that feeling of nervousness and where normally the the safe route would be to run away from it. Now I'm trying to really lean into it and embrace it. And I know just recently I actually got in touch with the dean of the business school over at the University of Richmond, where I went for undergrad. And I wound up speaking with one of the professors and we talked about me giving a presentation to his MBA students and their entrepreneurship club, actually, which sounds really cool. But the old me immediately popped up and said, in my head, of course, holy cow, am I going to be nervous for the month leading up to that? And it's just those old fears just bubbling up to the surface. And that's just something I've always been afraid of for my entire life is public speaking, even though I'm reasonably good at it. And obviously I do this podcast and, and all this stuff, but it's still that fear embedded. But that was the reason why instead of saying, oh, no, I, I, I'm not interested, like that was why I wanted to do it. So I think we all need to find those areas where we're a little bit afraid and really, really lean into it. Like it just makes you a more robust and capable person. And again, going back to Danny, like the next time you guys go there, like I guarantee you there are a bunch of people who work at that store who could help you with recipes, who would love to tell you about some recipe that they know from their home country that you could use these five ingredients for, like go with that step further. Not only go there again, but like actually ask someone for help, ask them for some advice. And I th I feel like you'd have that connection that like most people are walking into that store and just not ever getting. So I, I think that's something that, that you should try. Yeah. And just to kind of put a period on the end of this sentence, we were driving back and she had the biggest smile on her face. Like that's the immediate return on stretching yourself, right? We started this episode, I was talking about how I was doing this fast and clearly this is a new territory for me. I guarantee you tomorrow I'm going to wake up with a smile on my face. And, and my wife, when she left that store, although it was slightly uncomfortable, at least to begin with, until she got used to the new environment, she walked out and had a huge smile on her face. And there's an, and there's an aura of confidence that you get from putting yourself in a new situation and then finding out that, hey, it's okay. And in fact, you, your universe has just gotten a little bit bigger. So, you know, if you can do some of these baby steps and the whole point of what I'm, what I'm illustrating is that there's not one way to do this, but that life will present you with an infinite number of opportunities to broaden your horizons and your own, you can, you can apply this to personal development. You can apply this to creativity. You can apply this to skills, but life is this wonderful game. And once you've worked through just a few of these smaller things, surely the idea of a six-week test trip has to be something that sounds more and more appealing. I loved our episode with Noah from Money Metagame doing the gap year where they took an entire year off. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that. And as we continue to bring people on that share with us their secrets of how they've traveled the world at such low cost, and you realize that it is possible, you start to think, how can I tie together these tools like Airbnb, travel rewards, um, and geo-arbitrage, and how can I experience not just travel with my family as a tourist, but travel with my family as a global citizen. And you get to slow down just a little bit and broaden your horizons, broaden your kids' horizons. And as a family, I have a feeling that sort of experience will bring you all much closer together because you're going to be relying on each other more. And hopefully it forces you to drop the cell phone and to be present with your kids. Get this time together that ultimately you can't get back, right? We can never go back. We can only be present. And we can only consider the possibility of designing our future. So I just, for me, those are huge takeaways. The other thing that is we're talking about just for a few minutes, and it ties so well to this initial conversation is the idea of finding community abroad. And he gave enough tips on that that I don't have much to add to that conversation. We could see if Brad has anything to add into that. But community building is such a valuable skill set, and it's one that can be applied to you traveling to another country. It's also one that can be applied to you building a community in your own neighborhood. And I think that we talk about the value of building skills. Build The skill of building a community is incredibly valuable and incredibly rewarding. Yeah, Jonathan, as, as you know, I'm, I'm constantly, constantly talking about community and, and the value thereof. I think I think this is a really neat one where Brandon talks about all these Facebook groups that are that are really great resources for people who are looking to do this type of world travel. 
with their families. And I think just seeing people who are modeling it in their real life, like makes it more real. I know I've been kind of lurking in a couple of these groups, just trying to get a sense of, of what's going on, what the people are like. And, and it's just like a really welcoming community. And I think that kind of stands to reason, right? It's people who are exploring, who are looking to become embedded in new communities who are willing to do something a little bit differently than than the regular traditional path. So I think these are more open-minded people, certainly, than, than maybe your average person off the street. But I've really been very, very impressed. And we, being Laura and I, are trying to dip our toes into this. We're, this is something we will do one of these next few summers, for sure. I think we just have to actually take that leap and, and do it. And that is that that bit of fear that still takes over of not that we're worried something weird is going to happen. It's just almost like, what are you giving up? Like we're giving up our great summer that we love so much. And we're always constantly talking about our pool and all this stuff. And, but that's just so silly, right? Like when I, when I actually sit down and say like, okay, well, we're giving up something that we do all the time, which is wonderful and and great and all. But wow, how cool would it be to have a six-week adventure in Mexico or Panama or Chile or Edinburgh, Scotland or wherever it may be? Like, And then, you know, I keep going down this rabbit hole of like, not to keep score, but are there places that are good enough for this kind of travel. Like we have family who just moved to London and Brandon, the mad scientist is up in Scotland. And, you know, we're thinking about visiting them next summer just as, as a visit. But do I want to turn that into a longer trip? Like, do we want to live in London for three weeks and Edinburgh for three weeks or something? But as silly as it sounds, Jonathan, like, I don't know if that's immersive enough because they're English speaking countries and they're not terribly different. Like I, I'd be curious to hear from Brandon Pierce and maybe some other people in this world travel community or anyone in our community who's done this, like, would that be good enough? And I know that that sounds a little bit silly, but like, do you think we would lose some of the benefit of not being in such a dramatically different location, culture, language, all that stuff? Or would we get many or most of the benefits? I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, Jonathan. Oh, I think that you'll have a wonderful time no matter where you go. And I think that that's the classic example of is the perfect, the enemy of the good. And the, I would say, you know, it goes back to that, that line that we've said before. No, the perfect is the enemy of the done. Just do it, man. Just do it. Yeah. All right. I love it. Yeah, that's that's cool. And and you can hear in my voice and my thought pattern, like how unsure we are. And and I and I hope that like rawness and, and reality like comes through that. Like this is not something that's simple in my perfect world. I would love to do this. And, and I believe I genuinely believe we will. But it's it's just getting over these tiny little hurdles. And just like Jonathan said, just doing it. So I hope to have a report back in the in the coming months of we are going to pull the trigger on this and and here X, Y, and Z where we're going. So if it's not going to be this coming summer, it will definitely be the summer of 2019. So to be continued for sure. Now, I would like to pin you down on this, Brad, because I know that in the episode, you committed to our audience that you were going to try to start tracking your time. And I know you were going to kick this thing off. And I think you're starting this morning. Is that right? I am actually. Yeah. Okay. So was the tool that he had available, was that still what you used or did you use the one that I suggested? Um, honestly, I use neither. I just use a real simple Excel spreadsheet. So uh, I just going back to my days in public accounting, I'm, I just have a nice simple spreadsheet broken out in 10 minute segments and I'm just kind of jotting down as I go along. Okay. So in my mind, one of the key obstacles to doing something like this would be all the fluff or filler stuff that you do. Uh, when you get bogged into like social media and that sort of thing, or all the times that are just that are just kind of they just disappear on you. And I know you're you've had a lot of time to practice this. You're a much more intentional person with your time than I am at this point. So I'm curious, have you considered how that will come into play and how you'll track this on Excel? And what is the time frame that you're going to do this for? Just just would be interested in getting a few more details. Yeah, that that's a good question. I, I think uh, it would be easy just to do it for a day and just kind of, uh, oh, that was an interesting little thing. But I, I'm committed to doing this for at least a week because just because our, our weeks are so varied. I mean, just today alone, we're going to be recording podcasts for probably four hours. I think we have another recording session tomorrow. So this is not like the standard week. But uh, But I'm curious to see just what do my days actually look like? And because I really don't even know, like yesterday, for instance, I went to CrossFit and I wound up staying there and chatting with some people afterwards. And it wound up being like a two plus hour round trip. And that seems a little excessive. And also when I got to the end of my day, I was so harried and and rushed and, oh, I didn't get anything done. 
but when I actually think about it, I really did. I mean, we recorded a podcast for a couple hours in the morning yesterday and I did a whole bunch of emails and Facebook and all this stuff that, that actually is productive as far as business and community goes. But I think this is kind of a long way of saying that having it on paper will at least give me some sense of like, what are my priorities? And also, am I getting stuff done that frankly, like my memory really stinks. So like at the end of, and this might be a limiting belief, but like at the end of a day, like it's hard to remember what I did at 1030 in the morning. And was I actually productive or was I just sitting there? But now just kind of breaking it out in these 10 minute increments, while that is a little cumbersome to actually have to track it on that level, I think it's going to provide me some value. And we're definitely going to update this next week on the roundup because, you know, it's it's not that interesting of a segment right now. Certainly me chatting about something that I'm I just started three hours ago, but I'll definitely report back next week with an update on this and what value it actually provided in my life. And is it something that I plan to do going forward? Because I think it quite possibly will be. Well, I feel like by forcing you to tell the audience on the show that you were doing this will actually ensure that you actually do this because you won't be able to sneak out halfway through and say, oh, yeah, yeah I'm going to do that later. Yeah, no, there's a lot to that. And what's, what's funny is, you know, this is kind of a larger point of like us promising things on the podcast. And uh, I, I still I, I know as far as way, way, way back when we talked about like health things that you and I were doing. And I talked about running a six minute mile. And actually a, a buddy of mine from back home in Long Island just started listening to the podcast. And, and he heard that because I guess he started at the beginning. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, that was something that that I kind of gave up on. I wonder, do I still have time in the last uh, 80 days here of the year to to do that? But, um, you know, it, it is interesting when you say something publicly, like it, it definitely does spur you on in most cases. I think, you know, unfortunately, I did get kind of caught up with like CrossFit and this jujitsu. So the running kind of went by the wayside. But, yeah, you're right. Like this morning I woke up and I said, wow, I promised the audience on that episode I was going to track my time. And I opened up that Excel sheet, created it with all the 10 minute increments and like, and that was enough. So while everyone out there obviously doesn't have a podcast to record to many, many thousands of people, but that said, doing something publicly, even just saying it to your family, even saying it on Facebook or, or something like that, when you declare something publicly, there's so much power there. And I think there's something to that. And I'd love to hear more people who've explored that. Like, what have you succeeded in that? that you otherwise didn't think you could because you did declare it publicly and people were counting on you and they knew that or that you knew that you would be like maybe a failure in their eyes if you didn't do it. Like, Jonathan, have you ever done anything like that where you other than on the podcast, maybe like predating that, like it, anything ring ring a bell? Yeah, everything in my life. Uh, if I'm actually going to stick with it, I have to tell somebody else. Like, for instance, let's say I'm going to do this fast, but I just totally keep it to myself. The first time someone offers me something and I capitulate on my own, but I haven't told anybody what my plan is, then I can just set it aside and I can move on. And guess what? The fast is over and I broke it and it's no big deal. But if I tell my wife ahead of time, this is what I want to do instead of me having to just keep all this willpower on my own. Now she's supporting me in that role and she's not offering me that food. And on top of that, she's encouraging me and she's giving me positive feedback when I'm on my two or three days. And she's saying, how the heck did you do that? Like, how do you do that? And so that level of encouragement is useful. And at the same time, people can then have the ability to support you on that journey, which is invaluable. Yeah. And Jonathan, it's funny because I'm of two minds with this. I, I think there is great value in in telling the world at large and getting that extra dose of motivation. But I know I constantly talk about Tom Bilyeu from the Impact Theory podcast, which I would highly, highly recommend to anyone out there who's looking to level up their life or just create a better mindset. And he's constantly talking about the story you tell yourself and how that really is the most powerful thing in your life. It's the worldview that you've created about yourself. And I think what he says is, I'm the kind of person that, and he sets up these bright lines as he calls it. So I'm the type of person that, and one thing that, that I personally say is who does the right thing, even when nobody's looking. So that is a story that I tell myself about, about Brad, basically. And that is just so powerful because nothing matters more than what you think about yourself. And that's one that, that I keep with me. And Brad, it's so funny. I actually saw a bumper sticker the other day that like stood out to me, but I didn't think anything else of it until you were talking about this. And I know it won't mean anything to you because you, you don't have any dogs at the moment. But uh, for us dog lovers, it said, 
be the person that your dog believes that you are. And, and to me, that highlighted all these attributes that like you are who you believe you are, right? And that's kind of another way of saying it. But if you build a worldview around that, it empowers you to make better choices. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. I absolutely love that. So Brad, I think the next thing I want to do, talking about this idea of travel and taking this time away, and really it's totally in this in line with talking about taking your family around the world, is we got a voicemail from Vicky that I want to go ahead and play. Hi, Brad and Jonathan. My name is Vicky, and I'm calling to share my frugal win of the week. I loved your recent podcast with Brandon Pierce. It really resonated with me on a number of levels. After having a baby a few years ago and having a health scare myself, my husband and I reevaluated our own suburban nine to five life and decided we needed to make a big change. Right now, we're in the process of selling our home and all of our belongings and becoming a full time, slow traveling family with our three and six year olds. As Brandon suggested, you don't have to be 100% FI to reclaim your freedom. We're certainly not. But everything that I've learned about FI allows me to live with more confidence and less fear in making big changes such as these. So related to this goal, here's my frugal win of the week. We've been accumulating Chase Ultimate Reward points for two years now, and we just cashed in 120,000 points for four one-way tickets to Europe. With fees, we paid about $20 for the four of us. It felt like such a huge win. Keep up the awesome job, you guys. I really look forward to listening to every single Choose FI episode. Wow, Vicky, congratulations. Four one-way tickets for your family to Europe for $20. That is absolutely fantastic. And we're super excited for you. And I'm, and I'm glad it ties to this episode so well. I think that's what we're seeing. Like Once you start getting this stuff under your belt, the fear goes away. And the fear is tied, to, in many cases, to financial insecurity and it's tied to the unknown. But the more we're able to highlight the stories of people that have made these unconventional choices and far from being in financially insecure and far from being unhappy, they're experiencing more joy. I think it's empowering a larger percentage of our audience than either of us might initially suspect to make similar choices and get a chance to live these amazing experiences with their loved ones. Yeah. And I love how this all comes together, right? The Chase Ultimate Rewards points that she used, that was probably pretty straightforward to get 120,000 of those points. She found four one-way tickets and just booked them. That in and of itself is really cool. And also don't discount the fact that like these are one-way tickets. This is a journey and an exploration and they have no return date right now. That is really cool. And I, I think you could easily miss that, but what an amazing adventure, Vicky. So a huge congratulations to you and your family. Holy crap, Brad. That was huge. The one-way ticket. like that, That's the name of this episode, isn't it? The fact that you're not already thinking about the return. You're just open to the journey. Yeah, Jonathan, I love that. that that's a, a neat way to, to title this episode for sure. And that is part of what life is, right? It's this one-way journey. We don't know where the destination is. It's just about enjoying your life, exploring, learning new things, being open, and just trying to get the most out of every day that you possibly can. And Vicky certainly sounds like she's doing it. I think we're all trying to do that in our own way. And it's not easy, right? Like it is not a straight path. It's a circuitous path. And that's, but that's what makes it fun. So I love that one-way journey concept. That's really wonderful. Now we have to give a huge thank you to Andrew in our community who actually introduced us to Brandon. And the reason he wanted us to talk to Brandon is because Brandon in some way was his gateway to five because Andrew discovered the international travel community and the idea of this unconventional choice that allows you to pick up your family and travel around the world and find these different communities. And then through that process, he ended up stumbling into the FI community. And what's cool about that is the obvious parallels between the two. And the reason I bring this up now is Andrew gave us some feedback on the episode, basically talking about that underlying fear. Fear is one of the most raw emotions that actually gets us to move on something or not move on something. And so it's worth spending this extra time on it. And Andrew said, I reached out to get some links in regards to forums and communities like ours that provide more insights to traveling with families long-term. He has three kids, ages 11 to four, and very similar to Brandon's family. And there are so many questions that he's trying to get these answers to in order to Uh, address those fears. And he loved, Brad, just how you were real open about your concerns, in particular with regards to the education. Now, 
you guys can see the blinders that I have towards this idea of interest-led learning. I'm somewhat cynical to the traditional educational model where I feel like it just force feeds you a bunch of stuff that you're not interested in. And then it gives you this generic test to see how well you learn the stuff that you're not interested in and then tells you whether or not you're going to succeed in life based on the generic results of this test. I'm a little bit cynical on that. I'm not abandoning the traditional educational model, but I obviously am passionate about this idea of interest-led learning in general. And I think that to some degree, we see that in the FI community that people do realize the value of taking the time to learn about things that you are interested in. And then I obviously there is an extension there that to some degree can dictate how you approach this educational process if you decide to take your family on the road. Yeah, it's hard. It really is hard. And I really am of two minds with this. It's part of me just knows what I know, right? Which is the standard American education system. And and that served me exceptionally well. And I know that I got a lot of value out of it. And I believe my kids could get value out of it as well. But then when you take a step back from maybe those blinders and listen to what Brandon said, which is this interest-led learning approach, and not just forcing your kids to memorize facts, but to allow them to pursue what they're most interested in, there is a ton of value in that. In this day and age, when you can Google something in under three seconds, as quickly as you can type it in, and find any piece of information in the world, what value is there memorizing facts in a biology class or an AP biology class or or anything, right? Like, And Jonathan, I, I think you said it in the podcast, like many of these things you learn in school, they're just fragments of, of a tiny little memory of something. And like, does that add any value to your life? Like, did that add any value? And I guess you can keep going down the rabbit hole of maybe it, it helped you learn to think more clearly and all that kind of stuff. Like there is clearly a huge value of education, but like, But would this interest-led learning take the place of that or maybe do a better job of allowing people to learn how to think and allowing your children to not just regurgitate facts, but to have a brain and to find their passions and to explore them and to dive deep? Like, I don't know. I mean, that that is really alluring to me. And again, it's just this kind of a unknown, right, because. I've never done that before. I don't know what it looks like. And part of me doesn't want to necessarily experiment on my kids' lives. But then I say, okay, I'm applying the rationality and and intellect that I have to this situation and say, wow, I think they would benefit from that. There seems to be a lot of value in that. So I get it. I, I really get it. And I'm just personally trying to come to grips with it. And where I fall on it and how my kids could benefit. And I mean, I tell you, my wife is a teacher. So talk about me getting the raised eyebrow when I start discussing some of these more progressive ideas towards education. I got to tread carefully. So all that being said, I don't have the answer on that. But even if you decide not to pursue one of these more unconventional models, there is obviously something to be said both for your kids and for yourself by learning about things that interest you and not being afraid to learn new things. One, We're going to give one quick podcast plug just because Vicky mentioned this. For those of you that want to learn about actionable tips for location-independent couples, Vicky highly recommended the Nomad Together podcast. We'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Paul and Becky are a location-independent couple are sharing all of their hacks on how to be more comfortable with the idea of this journey. And she says there's lots of actionable tips in this podcast. And as you guys know, I think that's the real, that's the secret sauce in a podcast that's giving you information is, are they giving you actionable tips? All right, I have a voicemail of encouragement for you guys. For those of you that are just recently finding out about financial independence and you're wondering how much of a difference could this possibly make I have a voicemail that I want to play for you from Kevin. Hey, Brad and Jonathan. First, I wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity to call in and share a brief story of an encouragement and a conversation I had last week with the head of my HR department. First, a little background. I work at a pharmaceutical distribution center in Northwest Ohio, and my current yearly salary is only $36,000. I've been with the company for about five years and jumped on late to the five journey at age 32. I recently met with the head of my HR department to discuss the rule of 55 and a few other questions regarding open enrollment for my health care coming up. As we began researching the rule of 55, she opened up my 401k portfolio and she almost fell out of her chair and asked me if there was a mistake on my part. I asked her, what do you mean? And she asked me if I knew about the contribution amounts. She told me she doesn't know anyone within the company of 700 employees that is contributing over 10%. I smiled and told her, yes, it's not a mistake, but it's intentional. After getting the information I needed about the rule of 55, she politely asked me, how am I able to save so much on a lower salary? 
Now, this is coming from someone who makes double, if not triple, what I do. So knowing this fact, it's encouraging to me to know anyone, regardless of pay, can jump on the fine. She isn't like the lower level HR specialist either, but the head of HR over all the entire company distribution center. So as I was sitting there, I gradually explained to her how to life hack. Just these little, simple, smaller approaches that you guys teach and the the community teaches to life, but make a huge impact over time. Low cost index funds, ditching the target date funds, no cable TV, lowest speed internet, cut out the big box cell providers, cut out debts such as credit cards, drive that car until you need duct tape and YouTube, keep an emergency fund for those moments life throws boulders at you and keep a written budget on your fridge that you can go to daily to keep yourself accountable. Keep track of every dollar spent, find a side hustle to generate even a smaller passive income. Keep your bill money and your discretionary money and your emergency money separate and don't double dip when one runs out. When one is gone, then that's it until payday. And also life hack your groceries by not going shopping hungry. Stick to a list and ask yourself before purchasing, do I need this or do I want this? Keep your living expenses as low as possible and keep shopping around for better rates. Save your raises until it becomes uncomfortable and you're around the 30% or higher mark with your savings rate. I told her the biggest factor, though, that has allowed us to do this was our choice of housing. We purchased a smaller home with lower financial obligations as far as upkeep and our utilities are concerned with a house that's only a thousand square feet. It's more efficient for us, even though the bank was pre-approving us for double or triple that. We stayed far below what the bank approved us for in a location with cheaper property taxes, but still decent schools. And our mortgage payment is only 13% of our take-home pay before contributions. We now have equity in the home and we are owing actually far less than what it's worth right now. And we are on track to have a paid off home at 50 years old and reach lean five at 55, utilizing the, the rule of 55 and work because we want to, not because we have to. To circle herself around like-minded people because the journey is going to often feel tiring, boring, long and difficult, but the rewards will far exceed the path. After this conversation, I left a spark of encouragement in her because she was actually taking notes from me. That was actually kind of funny. Someone making far more than what I am with even a college degree is asking me, just a a, a lower team member, for advice. Of course, my wife and I work at the same company and work opposite shifts to avoid daycare, but it just goes to show that couples making far less than 100000 per year can make and achieve five. I left her office motivated, and I think I left her encouragement is also after I got the information of Rule of 55. Please keep up the good work, Brad and Jonathan, and take care. All the five community, you all rock. Brad, it's impossible to listen to that voicemail and not have a smile on your face. Yeah, I hear you. I was sitting here with a smile on my face the entire time. I mean, that is the perfect introduction to Phi. And it doesn't matter where you fit in the company. It doesn't matter how much you earn. You have this information that, as we talk about, is is a life superpower. And it's amazing when you can help someone learn about it for the first time and, and teach them and see that light bulb. And it's it's really, really cool. And this this was an amazing example. I think what's interesting to realize is that if you have been in the FI community for a period of time and you haven't just been lurking in the community, but you've been taking action on these things and you've been positioning your life financially in a way like Kevin just mentioned, you may not be in the top 1% of wealth in the country, but you will be in the top 1% of financial knowledge in the country. And part of that is that unfortunately, the bar is so low. And the gatekeepers to even your HR departments, they aren't getting exposed to this stuff because there's no one that's really positioned themselves to tell you to consume less. And and my point is, is ultimately a word of encouragement to our audience. If you're actively doing a large percentage of the stuff that we're talking about in the show or that the, the guests that come on the show are talking about on their blogs, you probably have more financial acumen than anyone else in your company at this point. And the ultimate way to prove that is to be the one that maxes out your 401k. Very few people in your company, no matter how large or small, are doing that. And it's amazing to me how you're doing all these right things time after time, but when what you're doing actually gets highlighted by someone that can objectively look at it and compare it to the rest of the people on your team or the rest of the people on site, it's such a stark contrast. You know, he said in his company of, I believe, over 700 people, he is the only one that is contributing more than 40% of his take-home pay. And just imagine looking at that from the outside. You're, you're trying to convince people just to start it, just to put anything in there, just to get the match. And then you see someone that's making a fraction of what you're making, and they are contributing 40% of their, of their take-home pay to their investment vehicles. You can't walk away from that. That's the sort of thing that changes business culture. That's the sort of thing that changes the entire environment. And ultimately, 
I think that has much more far-reaching potential for Kevin's, not only his financial future and his financial peace, but also potentially his career path because it's setting him apart in a great way. Can you imagine that, let's say this HR person was actually taking notes on this And let's say that she's been tasked with trying to improve 401k participation. She's been tasked with, ultimately, a company wants their employees to do well. I don't know if they want all their employees to retire early, but they do want to retain their employees, and they do want their employees to know that they can achieve a level of financial security within that company. And now they find that the guy in that company that's hitting all these cylinders and has it figured out is Kevin. That's not going to end badly. In fact, you can see how they would want Kevin to be in a mentorship role for some of these other employees. And mentorship goes along with leadership. And if Kevin has been identified as the guy, his life just hit an inflection point that I don't even know if he has realized yet. That was actually a really good point. It's like, you know, setting up a career path. And there's no end to that. That might not just be Kevin talking to the employees. It could be him presenting to the executives. You have no idea where that ends. And that is a really powerful thing, just accumulating these skills in life, like we're constantly talking about here. You don't know where that will end up, but now Kevin may be the most financially savvy person in his entire 700 person company. There's a lot to be said for that. And who knows where that leads Kevin, what opportunities that gives him, what positive light he's looked at when it comes time for promotions, for raises, for things like that. You just simply don't know, but wow, is that a a powerful and uplifting place to be in, right? Like where you can positively impact the people around you and potentially yourself and your own life. That's really cool. And the thing to point out there is that this is low hanging fruit. You can reach that same level of financial savviness just by figuring out where you're using your free time and using that free time to obtain new knowledge. That's what to land on. And this stuff is accessible. It requires that you give it some time, that you kind of simmer in it for a while, but Nothing that that Kevin talked about, nothing that we're talking about should be out of reach. All right. So guys, unfortunately, that is going to bring this episode to a close. And we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we found useful. And what we typically do, J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth, and Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. For the past couple of weeks, we've been also doing Tim Ferriss' book, Tools of Titans. And Brad, I was thinking, wouldn't it be appropriate for the next couple of weeks maybe to switch that over and actually do the four-hour work week based on this episode? Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, sure. Okay, uh, we can definitely toss that in. Okay, awesome. So that'll be the that'll be the thing uh, this week. If you're in that transitional period, you can pick. But going forward for the next couple of weeks, we'll do the four hour work week. And if you would like to win a copy of one of those books, it's very simple. Uh, all we're really asking that you do is, if you're enjoying this show, if you're getting benefit from it, just take a couple minutes and leave us a short written review. Just go to choosefi.com/slash/itunes. Follow the instructions there. Leave us a short written review and then just send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. I want to stress again that we understand that you are doing us a huge favor by putting your stamp of approval on this show uh, for the rest of the world that's maybe finding it for the first time. But this gave us a way to do what Brad has called a virtuous circle and give back in some small way. And when we thought about what giving back actually looked like for us, it was totally consistent with our overall philosophy to hopefully give you some knowledge and give you condensed knowledge in the form of books. And both of us just think that books are the ultimate way to grow yourself as a person. So we hope that you'll take us up on that and yeah, just follow the instructions that I just mentioned if you want to do that. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner this week and the winner is Jay Ott. And Jay Ott says, uniting the streams of Phi into a mighty river. I discovered this subculture about a year before this podcast started. How I wish I had had Choose a Phi from the start. Brad and Jonathan unite the many streams of information online and in the brains of smart people into a mighty river of frugal knowledge. Let their enthusiasm, sometimes too much enthusiasm, guys, I know you read these, wash you swiftly to your financial freedom. I think that's hilarious. And I think he's probably right. Um, let me address the enthusiasm because I know I've gotten some some feedback on that in the past. I think it's totally fair. That's the first part. I should st- take one step back and say that it is consistent with my personality. To some degree, I'm an introvert with the exception of the two or three things that I get ridiculously fired up about, which obviously financial independence is one of them. And then I almost can't contain my enthusiasm. And I think that to a degree, that's been helpful for our show for me to have that level of enthusiasm. And I'm pretty sure this is directed at me more than Brad. But the downside of that is that when you're binge listening to 20 or 30 of our episodes back to back to back, everything can't always be awesome all the time, right? 
<laughs> and I think I have had I have had to learn to a degree, maybe to tone that down by like five, ten percent. And for those of you that maybe you're like, man, this is awesome, but nobody can be that enthusiastic all the time. Um, I apologize. And at the same time, uh, you know, it's always about that growth and uh, trying to get better, both as someone that is learning this information right along with you, but then also communicating that in an engaging way. And, and since this is something that Brad and I plan on doing for the next several years, like honest feedback like that, that's you know constructive and honestly trying to help us produce a better product, we appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of the community. Yeah, we absolutely love constructive criticism and feedback. That's That's what we're always trying to improve. I think enthusiasm is a good thing, right? But I think where people might be concerned if it is if it seemed to be insincere. I don't think, Jonathan, that you come off as insincere at all. You just love this. I know you're as enthusiastic off the podcast about financial independence as you are on. Obviously, most people don't get to hear you off off the show like I do, but this is just something you're extremely excited about. And like we're constantly talking about, like we believe FI to be a superpower. And when you have this superpower and you have what you think to be one of the secrets to life, like you want to stand on the top of a building and scream about it, right? And tell the world about it. So I get the enthusiasm. I also get that, you know, people don't necessarily know you or know us. And and maybe there's that concern that it's insincere, but I can absolutely assure you. And I know that, that most people who are really listening to the show know this is as sincere as humanly possible. We love this community. We love financial independence and, and we just want to share it. So I think, uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it, Jonathan. I think most people really do understand that, but, but it is also important to listen to feedback. So we certainly greatly appreciate the feedback. One last favor, guys, if you haven't done this yet, Brad and I have realized recently that we do need to take a point and just, and, and highlight this. Uh, for those of you that have found us maybe through our blog or our website, obviously we are available on all the major platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, your player FM, your overcast, you know, all the different media outlets that you can find podcasts, you will find us on there. And if you want to just do one thing today before you go, that will help us out immediately. Just press the subscribe button. It just lets the algorithms uh, know that you place value in this show and that you want to be with us as we continue on this journey. So just take that one step before you go today. And we greatly appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend. The fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.